for instance, like a lot of I've been seeing a lot of cash out refinances recently, just mm-hmm. because a lot of like seasoned investors, they know right now is not the best time to invest it or find new properties or opportunities. So they're 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 kind of building up their cash reserves to kind of be ready once the market kind of opens up and opportunities. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. I'm Jason Muth and we're here with uh, attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Titletown Real Estate. Hey, Jason. Good to see you. Yes. Excellent to see you too. We have a special guest this uh, episode, and I will say that this guest absolutely is someone that, I, beyond all the guests that we've had, I've known this guest longer than anyone else we've <laughs> spoken to, because I've legitimately known this person since the first day of his life, uh, because it's my younger cousin, Kyle Muth. Uh, Kyle, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for uh, having me on. Um, I guess real estate runs in the family a little bit. Yeah, so. I, I think so. I mean, like, you know, my father, you know, Uncle Ernie, he, he was a real estate uh, agent for a long time and an appraiser for a long time. And I'm not licensed at all. I mean, like, you've known me forever. I've, I've been in broadcasting, right? And media. Yeah. And, but Rory found his way into real estate law. When he mm-hmm. came out of law school, right? Yeah, it took the long way. I started off as an attorney and then came back around, became a real estate broker and grew from there. And then I circled back in just by being an investor. You know, so we've talked, you and I have talked a little about the investments that we have. And, you know, once we bought our first investment property five, six years ago at this point, like, you know, you just get the bug and, you know, you kind of take it from there. And then Rory opened Next Home couple of years ago uh, here in Boston. I should also say, Kyle, went to you went to Bantley for for your undergrad or your grad degree or both, right? Un- undergrad, uh, like corporate finance and accounting. So like a business degree, basically. You're up here. I remember, I remember getting a phone call from your mother back around your senior year being like, hey, listen, like we have, you know, Kyle's going to the Super Bowl. We have an extra ticket. Like, do you want to go? You know, no one else could take him. I think I was like, way down the list of people that actually wanted to go, but like I pieced the whole thing together. I don't know if you remember, but I mean, you obviously remember going to the Super Bowl, but like I, I wrote her back or called her back. I'm like, yeah, I booked the whole trip. Like I booked, I booked our airfare and hotel and everything using all this frequent flyer miles I had at the time. And she's like, Oh my God, you're kidding. And I was like, you're kidding. I get to go to the Super Bowl. Like, you know, I just got to hang out with Kyle for a couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you used all your uh, broadcasting connections. We got into the WEI party. I remember that. We did, um, we did yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah. my job job here in Boston works with the competitor of WEI right now, 98 okay. by the Sports Hub. And uh, I will say we're we're crushing them in the ratings and revenue Uh-oh. right now. So, Uh-oh. I mean, they're, they're a great competitor. Uh, we all, you know, poke fun at each other. But yeah, back back at that Super Bowl, that was what, like twelve years ago, Giants Pats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was that was the one where they went eighteen and one, and the Giants were the one uh, in yep. that one game. Yep. That was um, yeah, that one was before. The, yeah, it yeah, was a big giant loss. That was, <laughs> that was before the um, the sports hub was around. But you know, we actually named Next Home Title Town after all the titles that Boston was winning for so long. And, yeah. and that's that's come to an abrupt end recently. <laughs> it sure has. It might be our fault. Yeah, well, I know. I know that all, all too well, just because uh, when I was up at Bentley, the Red Sox won their first two titles so, yeah. ever. So that was that was pretty depressing from, from, yeah. from, from a New Yorker up in Boston freshman year. And they're uh, they're burning down the green space because uh, <laughs> they just won. They just won the title. So it's yeah, like, you remember uh, that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Red Sox, Yankees, that was fever pitched. And then the Red Sox started winning World Series. And then it's more just like, eh, Red Sox, Yankees. Yeah. It yeah. was, they're down 3 0 to the Yankees. And then the first time that's ever happened. And then they finish it off uh, in the series. So, 
pretty that crazy. Three O. I w- I remember I was flying out to LA for a business trip that week. I was working with some stations out in Los Angeles, like all arrogant as can be. I literally wore my Yankee hat to the airport after they went up three Oh, assuming they were going to like clinch it like while I was gone. And not only did they not clinch it while I was gone for the entire week, but they lost that series. I mean, Oh, clear as day. So we're not talking about Boston and New York sports today. Although, you know, we could probably talk about the entire episode, but we're going to talk about real estate. Kyle's got a great business going on called Muth Capital. And I know I pronounced it correctly because (laughs) my last name also is Muth, but you must get it like me. Like people can't say our name. No, it's it, it should be like they should put like a, a Y and an O in there mm-hmm. to like make it more like suitable to what the way yep. it's pronounced. But um yeah, Muth, uh I get that a lot. But mirth. Uh, do you get mirth or, or math? Yeah, sometimes. Um yeah, I, I was too I wasn't creative enough to to come up with a better uh, business name. So kind of right. had had to go with what I know best and my, that's that's uh my name. So it's kinda <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's how it all worked out. Probably if I, if I was more creative, it, it would have been something else, but, um, short to the point looks professional. Yep. Um, yep. you just have people leaving you messages, uh, that they just can't pronounce the name too well, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you're one of the few people in the world that could directly sympathize with what I go through and yeah. Rory, you have no idea. I'm Corey Roy. I think I kind of get the gist of it. Yeah. Well, actually, I, my mother's called you Corey before because our she she, Corey, she still but... does, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so Kyle, tell us about Muth Capital. Like you know, I know that you're 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 talking to us on the Real Estate Law Podcast, so there must be some connection to real estate. So what are you up to these days? Why did you start the business? Uh, what are you working on? What have you seen a lot lately? Yeah, so I've always had um, kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, but kind of my background kind of went into the corporate side of things where do it working with mutual funds. And then also uh, I was at Ernst & Young doing credit advisory for large banks and other financial institutions that may have an impact on the whole U.S. economy. So this was right around the time of Dodd-Frank. They had to figure out the processes behind their risk profiles. To be honest, uh, the corporate life uh, wasn't wasn't like fulfilling me to a point where I wanted to take that to the next level, go on the partner track or or move around to different corporate companies. And also um, that kind of gave me the idea of wanting to help the people that maybe are too risky for the banks to to lend to. Um, so that kind of uh, started thinking about, okay, there has to be alternative sources of capital for um, both businesses and real estate investors out there that because there's great companies, great individuals that are doing investments or, or gaining traction with their portfolios, but they do need other sources of capital to kind of get to the next level or keep growing their businesses. So kind of went into it as like a loan broker kind of connecting capital for businesses and real estate investors. And that kind of turned into becoming a hard money lender myself where I'm originating the loans. Um, I have a fund that that's behind me now and um, that's kind of where we're at. And that's the bulk of the business, which is fix and flip loans, rental property loans, commercial uh, property loans, um, you name it, we could we could figure it out um, if the property needs some rehab or needs to be leased up. Uh, you need to get some tenants in there to get to the true market value of the property. Um, there's short-term loans to do that. And then there's also your long-term 25, 30-year amortization, rental property, multifamily type of loans that are very similar to what the banks offer for um, real estate investors and and commercial property owners. So pretty much, you if we bring it, you can finance it. Yeah, yeah, and if, if even if it's not through the fund that I have behind me, it it can be done because there's so many different connections that I have to different mm-hmm. lenders in the space that have a niche that typically can be. Uh, financed, um, or they like certain properties versus others, or different like lending structures. And depending on what's needed for for the client, I try to think that I can get that done for for the client. 
how do you start a business like this? Like a couple of years ago when you decided that this is what you wanted to do, like where, what's the first thing you do besides incorporate? First thing I did was kind of or look, start researching different lending companies um, because you can't get clients until you have the money to kind of uh, to, to lend it out or to connect the client to. So um, that was the first step. Um, and then you start gaining momentum in, in that sense um, and kind of it goes on a deal by deal basis. So once you start the marketing, the website, incorporating um, and, and deals or, or clients start to come in through networking, through social media, through anything like that, then you see what what's actually needed in the market. And then basically what I did, I was like, All right, okay, I'll, I'll go find it. Like that's kind of how I started. Um, and then that grew into, okay, multiple people are, are looking for similar types of lending. So let's try to kind of put something behind that and, and potentially uh, become a lender myself through um, the relationships I've made and the loans that I've uh, helped originate in the past. So Rory, you, have you worked with lenders similar to Youth Capital and what Kyle's doing? I haven't. It's, it's been, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a spotty record and inconsistent across time. So when you're, you know, when you're thinking about consumer facing loan products, there are a lot of lenders who are very similar and they're, how you differentiate yourself is how well you treat the client, the, the the customer service experience from beginning to end. Otherwise, a lot of the loan products are pretty similar in terms of their qualifications, rates, and terms. But this space, um, kind of the specialized loan world is very inconsistent. And there are a lot of different ways where people can distinguish themselves and stand out. Um, so yeah, and but we've had very you know inconsistent experiences with, with these products across the board. Um, is that a fair way to, to characterize the marketplace for this? Is it kind of just scattershot across the whole world? Yeah. So there is some uniformity like with um, your, your traditional hard money lenders where it's fix and flip terms. So typically 12 months interest only um, you get um, a certain percentage, you, the, they'll lend a certain percentage of the purchase price and then typically 100% of the rehab cost uh, through construction draws. And that's based on um, an after repair value. So after repair value is, is what the property could be worth with the rehab that is going into the property to get it to market rates within that community. So um, say a house hasn't been updated for I don't know, 20 years and, and the, um, the, the homeowner has just passed away or something. They, they, they're kind of an older, um, person and basically the house is just stuck in the 1980s or 1970s with, with the appliances and, and rugs and, and call and paint and kind of, it just needs a quick update. So the, that's what these kind of products are there for. And basically, and then the rental property loans are pretty standard as well. That's that's more of a newer product just because um, typically hard money lenders, they want to get in and out quickly with, with the borrower. So uh, those are to be very quick loans. This is more um, your, your, 30, your typical 30-year product. But the big thing with these hard money lenders and we we only can do business loans so that's you have to put property in an llc or different uh organization it cannot be in your personal name so it's not a consumer product it's it's a business uh lending product so you're working with obviously you like long-term clients because if you get somebody uh, that has a great experience. They want to do more of these than hopefully they do them with you. But do you also find new investors, you know, somebody that says, Hey, my friends are doing real estate investing. I want to do real estate investing. I want to flip a house, uh, but I don't know where to begin. That's a customer you could take on, right? I mean, they put it into an LLC and then off you go. Yeah. And, and the big thing with those, those clients, I mean, I, I see a lot of them, um, basically they're your like bigger pockets or like, um, RIA, they go to these RIA events in all, all these different communities um, with like-minded people that are interested in real estate, but haven't pulled the trigger themselves yet. And a lot of times they, 
they're nervous to jump in, but um, it can be it can be stressful. Obviously, it's the it, probably the biggest investment of their lives up to that point. And there can be, we kind of can hold hold their hands through that process. It can be definitely stressful, but also if you come into it with a sound mind, okay, this is what I'm going to spend. I'm not going over my budget. The numbers don't work at this price. So I'm not bidding above what the numbers work at. So th- those are types of things that can um, help a new investor just kind of stay on track. And then also having a great team behind you, like having a great broker like Rory, um, having um, a, a great real estate attorney, having a decent accountant to, to figure out the numbers. And then also having a, a, a licensed GC is probably, I, I would suggest that being the most important part of um, doing a, a flip yourself because um, numbers can get with, with the way material costs are and you not being in kind of the weeds that that can get mm-hmm. pretty dicey uh, especially we saw lumber prices at like an all-time high a few months ago and that can make your your budget explode if you if oh, you yeah. didn't factor it in so add, you know, add 30 forty thousand to it in this past year with kind of all these, you know, supply side problems and uh, even just a, having a difficult time finding good licensed general contractors that are available, have has the market for these flicks and flip loans become stronger or, or weaker um, like during this unusual year? So I'm not sure about what the market's like in Boston, but around here in New York, um, just the way home prices have skyrocketed because of the easy access to like cheap money on the market. And then also you have all these cash buyers coming out of the woodwork. Um, it kind of dried up the investment property strategy because these these homes that needed to be updated, they're going for 50, 30 to 50 K over what the actual as is value is currently. So um, and pretty much in New York, uh, it was it was it was crazy because uh, with COVID and everything, just everyone was just like, I got to get out of the city. Like I have to, I have to move away and just get get out of there. So that's kind of what what made uh, all the like suburbs around New York City just explode with um, people looking for properties. But also, like you said, the supply side um is there it's pretty barren at this point um so that skyrocketed the prices for these these properties i mean we're seeing similar trends here so you know my concern in this that this the the type of investor who is a, a new investor who um is trying to get into their first project who's just putting their team together um, a lot of them are shut out of kind of the traditional um, investing model that we've been, you know, promoting for a few decades, where you, you know, you buy a property, you know, find a property that's distressed, go and put the elbow grease and the the work into it. Um, you'll have instant equity in the for the property, which allows you to refinance it, um, rent it out, and continue on. Um, a lot of those entry level investors, um, I've been having a hard time um, setting them up with a good investment plan. Um, so, for somebody in that situation, do you have advice or encouragement? Um, I, I think the the market is going to get a lot more favorable for them right now. It is a tough situation just with the supply side, and then also, um, well, actually, there's a few factors like the moratoriums um, in place, so like foreclosures and evictions and everything like that. That doesn't help things in in creating these distressed properties. Um, everything is pretty much uh, priced at not distressed at pretty much at, at the top of the market. And you only have those consumer um, consumers that will, will be able to, or that will purchase those because there's no additional value that can be added at that point, at that price point. Um, but with the moratoriums ending, um, rates gonna be ticking up in the next couple years. Um, that will kind of cool the market a little bit and um, create those value add uh, properties that that should be coming to the market. For instance, like a lot of, I've been seeing a lot of cash out refinances recently, uh, just because uh, a lot of like seasoned investors, they they know right now is not the best time to invest 
it, or find new new properties or opportunities. Uh, so they're 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 kind of building up their cash reserves to kind of be ready once the market kind of opens up and opportunities um, start coming coming their way. And I, I am seeing more investors coming back to the table like pretty much recently. So uh, third Q3 this year is when I started seeing an uptick. Well, back to like what I used to see, but pre-pandemic. Okay. Are you seeing anything on the supply side improving uh, near you? A little bit here and there, but um, it, it's a slow, it's a slow burn. It's not gonna like just open up like crazy right away. But yeah, um, yeah, because uh, with the Delta variant and and everything else going on, and and potentially more shutdowns, restrictions, things like that, um, mm-hmm. that that demand will still st- will still be there. I think it might even increase in. Q1 potentially of, of 2022. Um, and hopefully it, it kind of dies down after that, but, um, who knows? It's, uh, it's a crazy world we're, we're living in right now. So I know the, the only thing that's certain is uncertainty. I mean, we, we've had a bit of a slingshot here in Boston where Rory and I talk about this all the time. You know, we, a lot of people fled the city just like in New York. I mean, there's there's a whole lot more people in New York City than in Boston, but Boston is still a big city and there was no nowhere for them to go in the suburbs, you know, so everything got bid up. I mean, Rory did open houses through this period and, you know, he'd have a table outside and a line down the street, pretty common. Yeah. But, you know, it's, and it's, it could be like area dependent too. I mean, like there's inventory in the city, you know, it's not an overabundance of inventory, but there are some pockets of the city where things are sitting and some where things are moving fast. You know, I do, I do think people are still navigating. Are they going back to their office at all or not? Um, And I think companies are still trying to figure that out because a lot of companies around here have delayed their return to the office and others have been open all along, you know, like my job job, you know, it's a bit of a hybrid. Like we never, fully closed, but like we thinned the office out many, many times over the past 18 months as things spiked. Um, so right now we're back in variants, but you know, that might change again around the holidays, who knows? Um, and I think that the real estate market also uh, is going to fluctuate as um, as people determine if they really do want to stay in, you know, tight areas, tight urban areas yeah. for longer periods of time. And talking to um, like commercial brokers, um, they're seeing an uptick in um, or in business in in the suburbs. So like mm-hmm. opening like companies that want to open up satellite offices that mm-hmm. employees don't have to go all the way to the city anymore. They they yeah. found that they can do their job from an office closer to home potentially um, rather than do that commute. And I, I know a lot of people probably don't want to commute use the use the the tran uh the trains or uh right. metro north down here but um the t up there so uh they kind of want to be very close to home uh they 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 got a taste of what it's like to kind of uh have more freedom around the, where they work um i think that's a big thing for a lot of people at least um around my age now like mm-hmm. none of my friends want to go back into the city or go back to the office, they're, they're dreading the day that uh, the company is going to make them come back. So, um, but hybrid plans, I think, are here to stay just with mm-hmm. the increase in technology, use of Zoom, use of video calls. Um, I think it's, I think it's all like it just exploded and it, it showed people that maybe they can work from, from home. And, but it also like, because all, all these companies, they want company culture. They want everything to kind of uh, to kind of push the culture in their vision, and that's a lot tougher um, doing it from home. So you might need yeah. a hybrid approach where you do have people in the office so that they can kind of work together or kind of bond in in a workplace setting. Because it is harder to kind of bond on on a video call. I feel so. Absolutely. You, you said it. I mean, hi, hybrid is, is going nowhere. You know, people, my, I'm a little bit older than you. 
Uh, and you know, we don't want to be back full-time either to the office. Like the people that want people back full-time to the office are the C-suite folks. And, you know, my job job, I think is doing better this year than some of our local competitors, because we did go back a little sooner, like safely, but we went back a little sooner. Uh, but having flexibility also is, is really what's going to be going on in the near future. And people that are in their, you know, late twenties, early thirties, Started. I know people around here kind of start families a little bit later in Boston. Uh, they establish their careers. They have some fun in the city. They pair up. They you know have their kids in the city. Then they move outside the city after the first or second kid. Um, yep. It you know rinse repeat. It's like you could predict yeah. the formula. I think that a lot of those folks are realizing um, you know that they're getting into uh, first time home buyer space now. And if their mindset is they want a hybrid environment, that's going to dictate the market. I mean, it is a very strong job market for job seekers right now. I don't know if it's like that around New York, but in Boston, man, like you could post a job and it could be tough to find people. And people, you know, if you're looking for a job, you could have demands of your employer that you couldn't make two years ago, or even when everything started shutting down, when everyone got laid off, or a lot of people got laid off. It's yeah. very different now. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about some of the more interesting um, loan products that you've seen lately. Um, I know you and I have talked a little bit about some of the short-term rentals that Rory and I have. And I talk about that on this podcast a lot, because it's kind of my, you know, like I could relate to this experience. Um, and it's been a banner year for us like with our short-term rentals, you know, like legitimately up, you know, a significant double digit percentage versus last year, which was admittedly a down year. But even when you compare to 2019, they're still up because the demand to get out of the city or get somewhere, you know, in the country. And one of our places is in Provincetown and that one just killed it this year. But the other one is in Hampshire and like everyone wants to go up there, but you're right. They all want to ask about internet speed. I mean, I get that question a lot. Like how fast is internet going to be working from there? You know, yeah. So, so talk about some of the short-term rentals uh, and some of the other interesting, um, you know, products that you've done lately. Yeah. So basically, the the, the alternative credit market has kind of uh, like kind of came back with uh, a fury, like with with both the rental properties and now short-term rental. Like they're 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 finally have a gauge on like projecting rents and kind of projecting like debt service coverage ratios with these types of properties because there's so much market data out there um, for these properties because through they everything's tracked with Airbnb and uh, was it VRBO. Um, so you, you know exactly like kind of, all right, a similar space, similar spot in, in the same town, you're having what 61% projected days used or weeks used or something like that. And then you can project out the uh, yearly income from that property now. So uh, lenders have gotten a lot more comfortable with those because that, was, that wasn't the case before. And in, in many situations, you're seeing higher rents um, than your long-term tenants would, would pay traditionally for the, that same property. Or single-family rental that's gotten us pretty comfortable. So now we can go up to 75, 80% of LTV based off of the projected rents from these uh, these types of of properties that are going to be used for um, short-term rentals. So that that's great in a sense because you're you're giving yourself um, you. It's a new avenue for for investors to kind of come in, and they don't need that traditional um, the Burr method, but now it's with short-term rentals rather than, um, just long-term tenants that mm -hmm. sometimes are maybe difficult to deal with. So, uh, short-term rentals, one good thing is that, uh, people don't stay that long. They're staying right. a week, a couple weeks, and then they're getting out of there. Maybe you have a little bit of damage or something like that, but that's all kind of factored in to that model or that, that should be at least into your kind of budget and, and, and everything like that. I, I, I know you guys probably factor that in pretty significantly uh, with all the numbers that you guys do for these properties. 
you answered my question that I was going to, my follow-up question that, you know, why would lenders be so afraid of these short-term rentals? Um, but I guess it was the lack of uh, market data that was out there to, in the beginning, because for a while it felt as though commercial lenders were demanding that you take a less profitable pr- approach to the property and do long-term rentals, um, even though short-term rentals would command quite a bit more. So I'm happy to see that there's been movement in that space with uh, the alternative lenders. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. I mean, like the damage isn't as bad, like knock wood, at least for us, you know, it, it's because the place is getting cleaned constantly. You know, it's yeah. not like you have a renter in there for 12 months and you have to like, you know, realize how disgusting it was after they left uh, acrimoniously or, har- you know, harmoniously. Um, short-term renters usually have a decent experience because they're there for a couple of days. It's different. They're in town for a reason to relax for a wedding, bachelor party, whatever. Yeah, you, know, you deal with like different kind of issues. Like you know, today, for example, uh, I dealt with somebody who left his suit at the house and apparently a box with a monitor in it. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, you get a phone call saying, is this the person that owns this property? I'm like, yeah, uh, I stayed there this weekend. I left this there. Like, do you mind if I go get it? I'm like, yeah, that's a problem. Like, what's your name? And he told me, I'm like, well, you weren't on the rest of, you weren't on the rental. So let me just confirm with the person that rented it, that you actually, I should be giving you the code to the house, uh, you know, and then everything checked out, but you know, it's some logistics you have to deal with, but it's not a big deal compared to like how much money you get with these uh, short-term rentals. And yes, if you do it correctly, it should gross you, not necessarily net, but it should gross you a lot more than a long-term rental. There's more expenses involved, but it should gross you a lot more. That has obviously has to be factored in on, on the investor side of things because um, because one, you have to furnish the, the property and then also the management fees, the cleaning fees, mm-hmm. um, everything else that you have to kind of have in place uh, for it to be successful so that those expenses can add up pretty quickly yeah. if you don't kind of take a like a more shrewd approach to those kind of um, necessary I- line items in your in your PL. Yep. Utilities, cable, internet, oil, propane, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do that all. Carpet cleaner. <laughs> I bought a carpet cleaner. <laughs> I, I, you know, those machines that you could rent at Home Depot. Like, no, I own one now because the, I needed to Stanley make sure Steamer. that. Uh, I got a, a big, big green machine or whatever it was, a Dirt Devil. It's, <laughs> it's actually fantastic. If you need to borrow it, you got to drive to New Hampshire, but I will lend it to you. <laughs> yeah, Rory, go ahead. I see. No, you're I, I, no I was just wanted to, um, to, to, to move on. I see um, that Kyle worked. Um, to help secure bridge fund uh, bridge funding to an interstate cannabis company, um, and that catches my attention because of all the different moving parts that are in there. Because I know my title underwriter, my insurance company, and other third party providers would never let me touch a project like that for a host of reasons. So you know, it being the Real Estate Law Podcast, it grabs my attention because there are just so many moving parts and obstacles to overcome to get any funding there, but we have cannabis industry, multi-state, um, you know, short-term bridge funding. So tell me about that story. So knock on wood, uh, that's something I'm working on right now. So it hasn't been secured yet, but it has opened up um, the doors to a lot of different other different niche, like alternative lenders and like equity investors that, that are starting to look in the cannabis um, investment space. And um, since you can't, um, you can't cross state lines with, um, with uh, THC products, um, you pretty much have to have licenses in each state to actually operate, uh, manufacture, cultivate, like the, the cannabis that's needed to, to be sold in that state or, or um, put into products like your edibles, your, uh, your vape pens, your, yeah. Yeah. Gummies. Yeah. Um, and as, as States open up, like these licenses are, are pretty much golden. So, um, this, this company is taking kind of more of a like operational approach that their, their team is, they, they've all like operated some in the cannabis space, but others just running your traditional manufacturing companies and they're kind of partnering up with all these different uh, properties that have these licenses. And now some of these states 
um, they're not giving out any more licenses. So the property value increases based on um, the licenses being in place for that location. So basically we're knock on wood, I'm, I'm talking with a few different lenders that uh, would, would lend off of the property value of these having this property with licenses in place. And um, it's pretty interesting. So that's kind of like, uh, sometimes you get these, these clients or these, these files that come across your desk and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. I've never even <laughs> heard of this, but then you take a deeper dive. And that, that's kind of what I like about just lending in general. It, it's a different story every time. And you, you kind of are starting to see, Oh, there's so many different potential ways to, to make money. And if you, if you want to, if you have a great idea, um, and can, can secure that funding, then you're you're in a good spot and you could potentially um just have a great great uh wealth created uh entity for yourself or sell like you build it up you you sell it to uh, a big time player or or private equity fund and uh you rinse and repeat kind of like uh rental properties there's a lot of money to be made in the cannabis space. There is a lot of money being spent in that space. We, we've actually started taking advertising for cannabis and run, um, we run some digital marketing campaigns in the space where we're allowed to like Facebook, Google, they still won't take advertising. Um, but they have money to spend. I mean, and not that we gouge them or anything, but you know, there is a little bit more risk involved, um, and more legal, uh, legal eyes and attorneys are not cheap as Rory can attest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, it's, it's smart to kind of focus in on that if, if you're able to. Um, and I think that there's a lot of businesses that are looking to figure out how can they work in the cannabis space legally and grow their business. And in the first movers are going to be the ones with the big advantages is my opinion. Yeah. And um, basically all of it's, essentially private money right now that's in the space because banks can't touch this stuff yet if they're mm -hmm. FDIC um, insured. So um, it's all private money or, or funds out there that are, are getting into it. Some funds are less risky. They'll only invest in companies that uh, don't actually touch the plant. So it could be helping with the logistics side of things. It could be helping with security. It could be helping, it could be, okay, I'll uh, invest in, in someone that is would own the property, but they're not operating the, the business. So they're leasing it to the um, cannabis operators in the building. So um, yeah, a lot of different ways to go about it. Some are riskier and they'll just be like, hey, we'll invest in in the whole, whole thing because we, we see the future value in in kind of investing in the space and taking the whole risk with the THC and the CBD and and everything. So, so so if you're looking for some, if you're in the cannabis space listening to this and you're looking for some funding, <laughs> Kyle obviously knows what he's talking about here. Uh, he's done some of his homework, so re, you'll we'll we'll get all your information at the end of this podcast and put it in the show notes. But uh, awesome. definitely reach out to him for uh, for any kind of financing in that space or anything else. But um, T tell us about a couple of the trends that you're seeing these days uh, besides, you know, boatloads of money going into the cannabis space. Yeah. So um, basically with all the, the government assistance out there for businesses and um, individuals and a lot of it coming from or being originated from from banks, um, they're a lot slower coming back to the commercial lending space um, or they're they're taking a lot more conservative approach, whether that's um, with your mixed use or, or uh, owner occupied properties or even uh, multifamily properties, they're, they're offering potentially less LTV. So you have to come in with more down to, to um, get into these properties or, or invest in these properties. Um, and, or they're just kind of shying away from, from the deals. They're not really kind of being aggressive with uh, their lending currently. So, and I, I ran into a situation where um, client had a loan commitment for 75% LTV and uh, basically the bank moved the goalposts and offered them 55% LTV, which uh, that's a big chunk yeah. for, for a commercial property to, to come up with that at the last minute 
um, when you already had a commitment for 75% and closing was going to be within a month of that. So um, we were able to get them a bridge loan uh, just to kind of purchase the property. And then eventually they'll refinance uh, through a bank or through um, another um, conventional lender that will um, give them the kind of if it's not a bank rate close to a, a bank rate for that, mm-hmm. for that property. How long is a bridge loan for 12 months, 12 months. Um, and sometimes there's different, uh, in the commercial space, sometimes there's different, different, like things that would be needed, like, um, like a guarantee of, of two or three months of interest payments. So sometimes, um, commercial lenders, they, they need to, uh make a certain amount in the interest because of their investors mandates on what they can kind of uh lend out and what the return uh the required return should be on the on those lending um facilities Mm -hmm. so uh before we head over to our final wrap-up uh i just wanted to see what what else what's the future hold for youth capital like what what are you working on for the rest of the year and into next year um, so during the whole pandemic and everything, I, I, I updated my, my website, my social media, my, my blog posts, um, and kind of what I'm doing right now is trying to recon- reconnect with strategic partners that I've kind of tried to cultivate before, before COVID hit. So this is like 2019, like people that I've run into. So I'm kind of trying to reach back out to them, see what they're doing, see how 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 business is going for them, whether that's in the real estate space or some other business that they're they're into. And yeah, it's just kind of um, reconnecting with people. Started doing that a little bit each quarter this year, but keeping it going, keeping the momentum going is uh, what I'm focused on right now, going into Q4 and then 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of a lost year and a half or two years in there. You know, we, we happen to have a baby during it. So, you know, we kind of have the, we have both the baby haze and the the COVID haze going on, but you know, you, you look back two years ago and like, there are some people that we, that we've run into or that we see that you haven't seen since before COVID and before the baby. And you're like, God, I haven't seen you in three years. You know, like Rory and I just went to a concert last week for the first time uh, here in Boston in almost three years, almost, almost three years. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you know, Kyle, you know me, I used to work in, I mean, I work in radio. I, I was at so many shows my whole life. Like, you know, it just, it was, it was an ongoing thing. I mean, Rory, we probably been to more concerts than you'd ever been to before, you know, we started going to shows together and yeah, it was just like party or every day. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And then we were just standing at the, um, well, it's called leader bank pavilion now, but it used to be called Harbor lights here in Boston. We were at a show last week, just like, man, I've been here in three years. It mm-hmm. feels like yesterday, but that was three years. Yeah. This whole re- reconnecting uh, thing. Yeah. It's, well, like giant games for me. I mean, I, yeah. Like you go from um, no fans, you're tailgating. There's eighty thousand people in the in the stadium, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 wild being back, but uh, definitely definitely missed it. So yeah, going to the games, going and tailgate, and everything like that. And but that- um, yeah, and you didn't see like I didn't I didn't see like Stephen for a while. Uh, Stephen Leitner, like he yeah like didn't see him before COVID. Uh, Cause you like, saw him there at the games and that, that's when mm-hmm, you saw yeah. him. Right. Yeah. And, yeah so. But wow. you know, the one, the one thing that's consistent, the giants continue to find a way to disappoint everybody, you know, like game and game. And oh time yeah. And time I mean, again. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're finding new, new ways to kind of uh, <laughs> new ways to lose. Yeah. I mean, uh, who they play in week two, where I literally said that to Rory, like, you know, with that false start, with the field goal that was wide and then you give them five more yards and you make it, you lose the game. Like, wow, they found yet another way to lose. And the, the replay that that wasn't offsides, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but, you know, oh, well. what are you going to do? I mean, it's just, it's a comedy of errors. <laughs> another, uh, lo- another lost season. <laughs> so yeah. Just enjoy the tailgate. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm hoping uh, hockey comes back soon. So I'll, I'll get to watch yeah. that. So. so, you know, that I was going to, I was going to 
ask you about that as part of the final wrap up. I mean, so we'll do that right now. We asked the last three, the same three questions of all the guests that are on the podcast, just to kind of, uh, you know, lighten it up a little bit uh, as we, as we conclude. Uh, but the first question is, you know, if you can get on stage for 30 minutes and talk about one subject with zero preparation, what would it be? Like, I was thinking it would be hockey for you, but what, what's your answer? It could be hockey, but it'd probably be um, it'd probably be the New York Giants. It'd be a depressing, uh, depressing uh, presentation. But uh, I could probably yeah. talk for thirty minutes on on how they've broken my heart the last few years. Yeah, since, since the boat trip in two thousand sixteen, I could probably probably talk a lot in detail <laughs> about that. I, I mean, we it, they've had a good run as a franchise, though. All right, and you know, I yeah. I always say I love the Pats. Also, I mean, I'm a big Patriots fan, living up here for so long. But you know, the Giants are my number one team, and when they and Rory could attest to this, when the Giants play the Patriots, I cheer for the Giants. It's the yeah. only time I cheer against the Pats, and it's the only time we see them win. Unfortunately, right? <laughs> no, it has to be the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. any other time yeah. the Patriots win, yeah. except for the Super Bowl. Yep. Um, <laughs> But yeah, all right. So, so really depressing thirty-minute discussion. Um, but you know, you'd yeah. have a lot of a lot of people in the audience sympathizing with what you say about the New York Giants. Yeah, yeah. If if they don't want to like get angry, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So we go really quickly at number two. Uh, what's something that happened early on in your life or your career that impacted the way you work today? Well, basically, like I came out of school during '08, so basically that whole situation. So I've been through like two kind of economic shutdowns in my life, Mm -hmm. but also just the fact that, so that, that was a big impact. And then kind of like going in into a more safer career at like Ernst and Young, like I was, uh, I started, I was like, all right, I need to take a risk and kind of jump in with both feet to kind of doing my own thing and figuring out, uh, how I want to uh, live my life and in my career. So that kind of made me, uh, got me motivated, I guess, to kind of do my own thing because there's probably going to be another economic shutdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what it's coming, what every, every 10 years or something it's like cycle, that. Right? Yeah. So uh, that definitely impacted me tremendously, just kind of how I want to um, work. Like, yeah, you don't have to, I, I realized you don't have to take that W-2 paycheck there. You could create something for yourself, which a lot of people are nervous to do, but also a lot of people don't think that way or they, they don't know that they can do that. So if they really hate their job or something, there there's other ways to kind of make money than yeah. on that corporate grind, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. That's great advice to heed. And, and Rory could sympathize. He he graduated law school into that same down economy and started a business. No W-2s in my recent past. Yeah. Finally, what are you watching, reading, or leading, listening to these days? Yeah, so I, I've been, um, like, watching-wise, obviously, I've been through every single show on Netflix, like, during COVID. And mm-hmm. uh, but one thing that's uh, pretty cool is um, the new uh, Wu-Tang Clan, Clan show. Um it's actually really, really good. I recommend it. It's on Hulu. Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay. We'll have to yeah. check that out. Do they have and all then, the Wu Tang Clan members on the show? Uh, no. So it's a, it's like a, they have actors. So it's, it's actually like a whole, like they have different oh. seasons. It's kind of like your, your traditional show structure, like um, Sopranos, The Wire, like those types of things. So it's, it's pretty cool. With yeah. less murder. Yeah, more rap, more rap, and <laughs> okay. yeah, but but still showing some some um, like coming up in like Staten Island, so it's pretty pretty yeah. cool. And then like reading wise, um, I, I'm big into kind of those uh, historical e- either something in the early 1900s, like with Industrial Revolution or World War Two. Like uh, I on on my lit reading list, I I have a Churchill book that. I'm going to start after um, this book called The Tycoons, which goes through J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, um, Carnegie and and Jay Gold, who how they like created pretty much the U.S. super economy back in that that time period. Um, And that's very, very interesting 
Um, and then also I, I recently read uh, Billionaire Whale. It's mm-hmm. about the Malaysian 1MDB fund scandal, like with this guy, Joe Lowe, who pretty much scammed all of Malaysia out of, I think it was like $6 billion or something like that. Um, and and there's a whole, there's a ton of like uh, documentaries on it and stuff like that, but the book's really, really good. And yeah, and then next another one is the American Kingpin, the the guy that created that Silk Road, the internet Silk Road where you could yeah. buy anything you anything. want. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm into the, I'm into those types of uh whether it's like the 1900 early 1900s or then these like um true life like financial like crime type of books too that are pretty interesting. And right. seeing how people like got away with it without any oversight or um, just believing that if you deal with enough money, uh, you just believe that they're good people instead of doing due diligence. So it's kind of interesting how that all works. I can't wait to check some of those out between our Disney programming and Coco yeah. Allen. So <laughs> Kyle, uh, we need to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being on this, uh, podcast, uh, real estate law podcast really appreciates your being here. How can people find you? And we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So uh, obviously all over LinkedIn, LinkedIn's good. Facebook, my website, uh, youth It kind of goes through all the products that we, we can offer. And yeah, an email obviously is, is the best, uh, Kyle at muthcapital.com. And yeah, we can get you a quote on any property you want in, within two hours. So it's uh, with just a few like different questions and uh, we don't require financials or tax returns. So it's just mm-hmm. two months bank statements. If you have the money to close and six months of reserves, you, you should be pretty good. And based it off of all the property's cash flow and, and market value. So um, it's less about the actual individual's financial picture. So, yeah. And in two hours or less. Yeah, you'll get a quote and uh, you can use that to strategize around what how, how you're going to purchase the property or how you're going to come up with the money to, to pay for the property. Cool. Well, listen, I, I want you to come back on some other point and we're going to dig deeper into some of these actual um, specific situations that you're seeing because you're obviously a wealth of knowledge and you know we'd love to have you on uh, in future episodes as well. So you're going to be on my short list of being back on this podcast. No, I appreciate you having me, Jason and Rory. Um, I, I like what you guys are doing with this. I see the Instagram clips. So, uh, and uh, I got to start uh, listening to to future episodes too. So uh, happy to come back on. Back to episode number one. It's an audio only episode of why okay. we even do this in the first place. But uh, <laughs> there'll be many more to come. There's, uh, there's a bunch posted right now. And, and there's a little bit of something for everybody uh, up on our YouTube page and our Instagram page. So thanks again. And Rory, by the way, we're we find you? I'm easy to find. Just uh, look for me at urbanvillagelegal.com or nexthometitletown.com. All right. And uh, once again, I'm Jason Muth for the Real Estate Law Podcast. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Go support Kyle Muth and Muth Capital. Uh, Go support Rory Gill and all of his businesses and keep listening to us. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.